This is a Federal News Network podcast. Not many feds even know there's a selective service, an actual federal agency that ensures the Defense Department would be able to tap the population it would need in an all-out war. For two years, the selective service system has raised its rankings in the annual Best Places to Work sweepstakes. With how they were able to do that, in studio is Acting Director Craig Brown. Mr. Brown, good to have you in. Tom, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. Give us a sense of, first of all, how large the selective service system, the SSS.gov, actually is. How many employees do you have and, and how does it all operate? Sure. So it's a small agency. We were in that ranking within the uh, FedView survey. There are about 120 full-time employees, but then we have this variety of other employees. We have more than 50 what we call intermittent employees spread out through every state and territory that we have. We have a number of reservists, and then we have more than 10,000 volunteers spread throughout the country helping us do our job. And what do the volunteers do? So they would stand up local boards if there ever were to be a return to a draft. If a young man were to say, I can't be drafted for whatever reason, Um, I'm a conscientious objector, I have a, a deferral that I'd like to ask for, Local boards spread throughout the country would decide that case. They're not paid, not compensated in any way. They're just volunteers who do this. And we should remind people that this was a surprise to me a few years ago, I think, when I spoke with uh, your predecessor, and that is that everyone to this day is still required to register for every male in the United States is required to register at the age of 18? That's correct. Uh, Within three months of their 18th birthday, with few exceptions, every male, and that's whether you're a citizen or not a citizen, is required to register with Selective Service. And it's just a statement of, hey, I'm aware that I have an obligation. Should my country ever need me, you know, I'm here. And you can do that. Just go to sss.gov and click on a button. There you go. 30 seconds. And in the best places to work sweepstakes here, tell us what the history of the rankings for the Selective Service have been. Yeah, they hadn't been great for a number of years. There are great things and not so great things about small agencies. This agency performs its mission. It registers young men and it's ready to have a draft, but we haven't obviously had a draft for 50 years. So you get into a stasis, a steady state. And uh, we were that way for many, many years. And there's been this great awakening over the last couple of years. We have wonderful employees that are just dedicated to the mission. And we're also freeing up opportunity to do different things, do things in new ways. And I think that's been a big part of why we've jumped quite a bit in the survey. And what do people generally do day to day? So we register Every young man in the United States is about 2 million of them every year. So we have a call center. We have a mail center. And then we have just the normal things that every agency has. We have policy arms. We have analysts. We have public affairs. We have an IT backbone. does a great job for us. And people registered, they can do it online nowadays. So there's yeah. a systems component to this. There's a major systems component. And that's been a wonderful reason why we're able to jump so high in the survey. We're able to do that remotely. Um, By mail, obviously, we have the entire population in the United States. People, not everybody uses IT. And then there are other ways to register for many parts of the country in different states. If you get a driver's license, there's an opportunity to register there. Up until recently, we're also linked to the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Unfortunately, this past year, there's some legislation that delinked us from FAFSA. And we're working through that. But that's just an example of the many ways you can register. And do people still get draft cards? You do. My son is 20 when he was 18. He registered when he got his permit at the time, and he got in the mail a letter that said, here, you are confirmed, you're registered, and here's your card. And if you happen to lose that and you want it, you can go and click on our website and 
confirm that you've been registered and download your draft card. And it's not a draft card. It's an acknowledgement of registration. Got it. You don't get a little cardboard card anymore. No, not anymore. Not, nothing you can, uh, you can tear up or because or, we don't have a draft. <laughs> right. Yes. You can't burn your draft card anymore. Right. Well, that's a good thing, I suppose. But then I get the general sense in some ways over the years working at these selective services, kind of like working deep in the nuclear enterprise. You have to keep everything up and running and going, but it's something that has not actually been exercised. Well, it never has in the case of the nuclear enterprise and has not been, as you point out, since the Nixon administration for selective service. And so that can, you think, maybe produce a kind of sense of I'm just on a treadmill here. That's a wonderful metaphor, and I may steal that from you. So no charge. It is a, that's an interesting way to think about it. We have not had a draft, as you mentioned, since 1972. And think of the way we've evolved just as a society since then. If we were to have had a draft in 1973, you would have received letters in the mail. People would have reported to a place and gotten a bus ticket. And now it would be digital. So a lot of our job is staying current and up to date and then testing the enterprise to make sure that if we were called upon, and there's no indication that we will be, that we could do our job. We do exercises just like the nuclear enterprise does. That's exactly right. We're speaking with Craig Brown. He's acting director of the Selective Service System. And so what are some of the steps you've taken in the last couple of years to get those best places to work rankings up by quite a few percentage points? A large part of that started with fixing up our IT enterprise, affording the team the tools they needed to do their job better. And a great stimulant was the set of exercises that we were running maybe two years ago that highlighted some gaps that we had to address. And so that set us up well. Unfortunately, had a pandemic that triggered new things that we had to do. But we are able to do the majority of our mission remotely. Now we have folks, we have a mail center, so those folks have to report. But most folks within the agency can do their job not in the office. And that took a long time for us to realize, you know, that there's a reason that change management is a thing, right? Because it's hard and nobody likes to do it. Sure. We had this forcing function that made us go remote and we have a wonderful team, great supervisors, great employees, and they sort of all came together. And with that realization and the realization that we don't really have to go back to the way we were, where everyone was reporting to an office in person, and that everyone has a say in how we want to go forward. A wonderful thing about being a small agency is you're able to collaborate. I know virtually everyone in the agency, right? Right, sure. And so they all have a voice. They all have a say. We collaborated on a bunch of policies. And because people are empowered and have skin in the game, they're more apt to think highly of the agency because they're a part of that. You mentioned exercises that showed up gaps in the IT process and the whole you know, operation that you have. Tell us what are the components of the exercises and what are the gaps that showed up that you needed to plug? Sure. So, for instance, we would have a lottery, and we have lottery machines, and we would exercise these machines. We would run them and, and pull the balls and everything. They but still have the ping pong balls in there? It, we still have the ping pong balls. Huh? In, in my day, we used to watch that very carefully with see when your birthday came up. And, and you said we would watch it. So it's really a public affairs show. But we hadn't thought about that public affairs component in a number of years. So think of how we've evolved since in 1972 you might watch it on TV. The three networks that we had at the time would carry that. Well, now we need to be on social media, right? We need to be tweeting out results as we go. We need to make sure that people couldn't penetrate what we were trying to do in an IT sense. And so because we've been going through motions, we've been exercising the machines, but we hadn't thought about the greater strategic 
issues that might be involved in a lottery. And so that's just an example of something that we ran through in an exercise. We thought about it, and we identified areas that we could mature. And you were able to secure funds to maybe invest in IT and some of the systems that would fix those gaps? As a small agency, we have a small budget. And so with small budget comes limited ability to flex. But we have a great CFO, and she's been able to identify ways to get funds. And and you've covered here uh, the Technology Modernization Fund. So we're trying to take advantage of that. And we have great partners within Congress who are aware of our issues. This IT modernization program is now three years old. And so they've been trying to get us additional funds as they can. And I imagine there's a big cloud component to all of this to get some of the IT day-to-day burden out of the small agency. Just like every part of the government, we're in progress and shifting to the cloud. Now, I think we're a little bit ahead of the game because our exercises identified these gaps. And so our IT team is well engaged in getting us into the cloud. And now Congress is thinking about, at least there's language in one of the versions of the National Defense Authorization Act for next year, to get women registered for the draft. This would be a first in American history, really. Not certain that would happen, but you must be modeling how that would work should it become law. Absolutely. This is something we've been aware of. This actually dates back to 2016. The Congress at that time introduced legislation perhaps to register women. Out of that came a commission that was to study the idea, among other things. Public service in general is the big mandate that they had. Specifically, they were to look at selective service. They did. They reported out in the midst of a pandemic last year. The message that they reported out was, we should register women. Now, as a federal agency, we're here to execute. I have no particular position on that matter, but my job is, if I'm asked to do it, to do it. And so, yes, we have modeled it, we've studied it, and can do it if asked. Now, that's a question that Congress needs to answer, honestly. And yes, the Senate Armed Service Committee has inserted language within their version of the National Defense Authorization Act, and the House is going to consider that, I guess, in, in the full committee early next month. But should they decide that, you would be ready? We would be, yes. Fundamentally, we're expanding registration to another half of the population, but the mission doesn't change. Registering men, registering women, There are some form changes, things like that. We would expand the IT enterprise a little bit more. Our messaging would change. But, yes, we can do it. Craig Brown is acting director of the Selective Service System. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm delighted to be here, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Register yourself with the Federal Drive. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. Um, 
with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. 
I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. 
Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. Whether in person or remote, open communication with your doctor is key to managing any condition, including heart failure. How have you been feeling? Um, I'm okay. Both are great options to continue having open conversations with your doctor about how you're feeling. I've had less energy. And when you speak openly with your doctor, they're better equipped to help. Visit heartfailuretalks.com to learn more.